0: Welcome to the Sock Valley Spotlight Podcast, where we shine a light on the people and places of the beautiful Sock Valley. In each episode, we highlight the hidden gems and untold stories of local businesses, community leaders, and the people that call the Sock Valley home. I'm your host, Drew Williams, and today I'm joined by Chris Noble, who is the Executive Director for the Sock Valley Area Chamber of Commerce. Chris, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. It's it's good to meet you, and it's good to um, connect and be able to have a conversation.
0: Absolutely. Hey, can you just give us a quick snapshot? Who are you? Who do you love for our listeners?
1: You know, um, I am currently the executive director of the Sauk Valley, but um, I think my biggest, proudest title is I'm a mom of two. Mm. Two mm. boys, uh, Siler and Elliot. Siler is 26, um, or will be 26. Elliot is 19, and... Um, I'm a, and that's been my biggest, I would say claim to fame.
0: Um,
1: but in the community, I think that I've been able to be in the position of being involved in a community where, um, I can be a community leader because of the position the chamber has. Um, I really do love everything about, um, the sock Valley. So, um, I'm a mom, I'm a friend, I'm a Christian. I believe that in the good of people, Mm. um, I just really feel that people can impact change in communities. We just need to build relationships. I'm a relationship builder.
0: Mm, yeah, how good. So you you said you moved here uh, back in 2005. Yeah. So you've been here for a while. Yeah. Um, what brought you to the South Valley? We were you already married, had kids at the time. Yes. And, okay. So what what brought you here? And tell us a little bit about that journey <laughs> that then led you to now. Serving with the Sock Valley Area Chamber of so Commerce. So
1: it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. So I was born and raised in Southern Minnesota. Um, do not comment on my accent if you all think I still have one. Um, went to college um, and married my high school sweetheart at the time. And he worked for a Walmart and we moved around the country seven times in 15 years. Oh, wow. Um Colorado, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Iowa, and really enjoyed that experience. One son was born in North Carolina, one son was born in Colorado, and wanted to get back to our Midwest roots. Yeah. So in 2005, took that opportunity, um, and my now ex-husband started the distribution center here, um, and it was a great experience. A lot of energy surrounding Mm. the Walmart distribution center at the time, bringing lots of jobs, And then in 2008, life happens and um, we divorced and I think God had a plan and Mm. um, we're good parents. We get along well, Mm. Um, but I decided I was going to stay here in the Sauk Valley and raise my children. They had an amazing school. My kids went to St. Mary's Catholic School. Um, I had an amazing faith community um, at Wesley Methodist and this community was just home. Mm. You know how it is. It's, it just felt like home. So decided to stay here. And then I went back to work full time. Um, I worked at Lutheran Social Services. My background's in adolescent um, issues. Um, I served nationally as a consultant for a company called Search Institute, Hmm. which is the 40 Developmental Assets, which is a wellness model about what youth need to be successful. And it's evidence-based. Yeah. So since 1989, Search Institute has really gotten into the roots of how do youth grow up healthy, happy, and whole? Yeah. And Search Institute... Um, did some data collection. And then we were going out and serving young people. And I was working, coordinating, how do schools listen better to youth? How do communities listen to youth? And it worked well as we moved around the country. And then I plopped back here um, and I went back into the field um, as an adolescent therapist for kids with addiction issues and anger management. I really enjoyed that. Um, it's tough work. Uh, yeah. Kudos to anybody that does that.
0: Yeah. How long did you do that for? I
1: was there from 2008 to
0: 2014. Wow.
1: And then just decided um, I'd done some public speaking and done some workshops on what what makes a community healthy, happy, and whole. Contracted with the school district and done some consulting, some churches. But what do we need to do to be more youth friendly? And mm. coincidentally, the chamber had a position open as a project coordinator. Mm. And I laughed, I had zero business background and my predecessor and mentor to date, Kim Ewaldson hired me. Um, And then three months later, she left for another opportunity and I was promoted. So there's a lot for being in the right place at the right time. I will be the first to own that. But I will also share that... um, This job in the board of directors we have, which are community leaders in the Sterling Rock Falls, Whiteside County area, really believe in the work we do. So I walked into a really good organization. Mm, mm. So in 2015, I was um, promoted to the executive director, and that's been my story um, to date.
0: Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. How old were your kids while you were doing the social work? aspect of, of your career.
1: So when I started doing the consulting on the wellness and I was able to be a stay at home mom, very lucky to do that. And we were moving around quite a bit. Um, my boys were very young. And then when we moved here, um, the boys were like 11 and six, when I went back to work for Lutheran social services Mm -hmm. and did the full time, I ran adolescent groups and went to court on behalf of young people and worked with school system for kids that were having, um, they were using substances or I was doing some prevention. Yeah. So the one of mine, they were both in school at that time. Um, and I was able, again, Lutheran social service was very gracious and uh, letting me to kind of flex my schedule as a yeah. single parent, so to speak. Um, so I could navigate all of that.
0: And so, I mean, your boys were right around the same age of the youth that you were serving
1: and yeah, working with, especially my 11 year old. And again, I think people are shocked, but shouldn't be that Substance use for some starts in middle school age, and yeah. again, curiosity, um, we do know the data shows that the age of onset, um, the age of first use is uh, about 11 and a half, and it's between the hours of 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. when kids are left unattended. And that's not a scare factor. The, the the kids it, will report that. Yeah. So we've done tried to do a lot with prevention and understanding the continuum of experimental use, alcohol, marijuana, prescription drugs, to... Um, to addiction. And it ties into community wellness because I've yet to meet a person that doesn't want their child to be healthy, happy, and whole. And then how do communities engage in that whole belief system that it takes a village? And I know that seems like some people are like, that's an overused term, but it's the
0: truth. It it is the truth that my my kids are four and a half and almost two. And uh, I cannot do it by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, even just my wife and I moving here in the last just over six months ago um, we've been so grateful for even just a few uh, members of our church Mm -hmm. who have kind of almost adopted us um, to serve as grandparent type uh, people. Um, Both, both of our uh, parents are are not in the state. um, Although uh, I, there is there is talk that maybe my mom is moving to Sterling, and mm-hmm. so the Sock Valley better prepare um, <laughs> for that. Uh, no, we're very excited for that. But you know, just even having other people mm-hmm. who say, "Oh, well, we can help you wash the kids when you do grocery shopping." Oh, yeah. Uh, just the other day, our, our neighbor, uh, she had her granddaughters there, and so our kids were playing with their kids in the yard, and she said, "Didn't you say you guys had to go grocery shopping?" I got the kids. You go. And it was just such a like a a, a relief as a parent to know. Wow, someone would offer that, and and it was someone that you know we yes. we've been building a relationship with over the last you know few weeks, months. That we're like, yeah, we can trust you. Yes, with, with our kid, that is like a a huge thing as a parent to to get that support. Yeah, but until you know how much you need it, like you almost don't know what you don't have mm-hmm. until it's offered. Um, I want to go back though. You were talking about working with these students who are in, in enslaved to addiction mm-hmm. at such a young age, how how did that affect you as a mother coming home to your own kids who are right in the same age range?
1: So I got to back up a little bit. And it kind of comes full circle. So um, I grew up in a family where my father was alcoholic. Oh um, wow! And my parents divorced in the seventies. And you go back to that date. I was raised very. My parents are both amazing people. My dad had an illness, um, Mm -hmm. and he was in recovery the last years of his life. He's passed away now. But so growing up in that environment where um, you live in that kind of chaos, um, and then when i went off to school and i have a psychology degree with an emphasis in counseling mm. and i didn't as originally i didn't go in um i did work for a while as an addictions counselor and then we moved but it wasn't like this is what i was meant to do i yeah. was i did it i enjoyed young people and really believe that everybody needs a champion mm. but understanding that that young people today there is some um the the use the access is huge And so understanding that we need to help them fill the void in other ways. And so I think having that background of growing up in that and then understanding that you don't have to become it if it is impacting your family, you know, Mm. that cycle can be broken. And then um, part of that, just understanding youth and really being intentional about making sure there are great role models for kids and having honest conversations. And I think that's one of the things that... This community does, I agree with you 100%. And I don't know that it's so much rural America or Illinois or small towns, but communities that can lift each other up. And and we did. My St. Mary's family lifted me up when I went through my divorce. Wow. And my current life partner, Max, did the same thing he has my boys are so lucky to have so many men in their life Mm. that are really good human beings. Mm. Um, And then I intentionally put people in my boy's life. One of the developmental assets is does a young person have three or more adults in their lives they can count on. And when I go to schools and talk to kids about wellness, there's this group called blind building lasting impressions that never die that five like local high schools participate in. And, Less than half of the kids can raise their hand, and that saddens me. Yeah, where are we as a society where we can't? These young people just don't feel they have anyone to go to, and no yep. judgment. I don't know what what reality any child's is, but how do we do better to make sure kids have that adult in their life?
0: It's not, and it's not a judgment. It's a heartbreak. Yeah, and it's a it's the it's it, a, it's not saying oh you're bad for not having that. It's saying. You you deserve to have that. Yeah. You deserve to have adults who know who you are and who can who can say I care about you.
1: Yes. And, and that's as simple as it is. So we've really been intentional. Like, it, And it's funny, because now at the chamber, how we're trying to make that come full circle yeah. is with our workforce development. Really, our employers getting to be the conversations to say to kids, do you want to come job shadow to see what it's like to be an accountant? Yeah. And and um, we have mentors in the CEO program. Uh, and these adults step up to mentor young people. And yeah. so it's really about... Um, making connections and building relationships. And and adults have to be able to do that and navigate that when it works for them, right? Because being an adult is taxing. (laughs) Um, But I think that it's such a win-win, whether it's the mentoring programs, big brothers, big sisters, that it's very intentional, or we just do it naturally Mm. with your neighbors. And, And I think we have to go back to that of how do we build communities? And the key of it is building relationships. And I think- One of the joys I have at the chamber, you know, if you look at a chamber, we're a pro business organization and some would say, what are you doing in the business of working with not-for-profits or getting into this? Well if you don't have a healthy community, you're not going to have a healthy business. Mm. So our business community needs people that are working, that can support their families, that can take their children and purchase things. So the business community has been very supportive of our role in the Whiteside County Partnership for Healthy Choices. um, And some of the not-for-profits that we really work to promote the work they do, because it's it's all about a community. Is not just a business organization. It's education. It's faith communities. It's not for profits. It's healthcare. Those are the spokes on the wheel.
0: One well, that's remembering that no one organization, no one company, no one family can do it on their own. Like you, you know, that was the thing when I became a parent of just uh, the the fear that set in with the realization <laughs> of saying, I cannot be a childhood developmental expert mm-hmm. and a nutritionist and an education guru and a life skills guide and a emotional regulator Uh and a, you know, for this other small human being who depends on me on my own. And like, that's why it's such a beautiful thing that we have youth activities where they can learn team building skills and things like that, that like, you just can't get them at home in the same way, any company, any faith uh, community, any organization can't provide all the, you know, personal development mm-hmm. and on the job training and counseling services when stuff is happening with your family or if your kid is sick and, 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 and. And so it, if we are recognizing that these, um, expertises are being filled by different groups throughout the community and then working together, we actually get to benefit from each other's strengths. Is that what you think, um, really is the the role of the Sock Valley Area Chamber of helping connect all these silos so that they realize they don't have to be silos anymore?
1: Yeah, I think 100%. I think it's almost like you prompted that. Um, that's really what a chamber is. I, I talk about people is we're a convener. And Mm. so we've been bringing people together um, who should be at the table. And my board of directors, again, they're great men and women in the community. And their word is, we just want a seat at the table for the business community. Mm. But we also know we want to make sure education, we want to make sure healthcare, we want to make sure faith communities. So an example of that is the workforce issue. And there's a lot of challenges with workforce and childcare, childcare specifically. And I'm learning a lot. The, The education system. They speak in a different language in the business community. So in July, almost a year ago now, my board said, who's at the table for this? And I was like, I don't really know. And they said, we need to bring some people together. So for the first time, in, from what I understand, we brought together the not-for-profit community, the business community, childcare providers, the education system, and those working with job seekers to all get in a room and say, okay, what, what are the challenges? is it red tape with DHS? Is it advocacy? Is it lack of quality care? Is it low pay? What is it that we're missing? And we've met, we've developed this tech force. There's no easy answer. I can't come tomorrow and say we've got it figured out, but we're learning from each other Mm. and we're learning that we don't have to go this alone. And so that's one example where the chamber doesn't have all the answers, but my job is to bring people together with respect, dignity, and a willingness to learn, um, and try to come up with solutions or at least action items to to take to the community, larger community or to our legislators or whatever. And I think it comes back to, I, I love my role in the chamber because I think my mom, when she was raising me and I will never forget. So she worked three jobs, um, And yet had time to volunteer for campfire girls and yet had time to. And she said to me, and I know this is a common saying, but I, and I'm not giving her the credit for this saying, but it was Chris, if you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. Mm. And so I think so many of us are quick to judge or quick to complain, but we don't want to help. We hear all the time, let's do this event. And we're like, come on, do this with us. We need volunteers. We need your voice. And then for some reason, people want to drop off. And so I stand behind if I'm, if I'm going to complain or want change, then I need to be part of the solution with those at the table.
0: Yeah. My, my grandpa used to say that's called let's you and him work on this together. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I was just having this conversation with a coworker earlier today is, you know, it's one thing to have ideas Mm -hmm. and it's another thing to put those ideas on other people to do your bidding. Yeah. You know, of, Hey, someone should do this. That's a great idea. But it's like, no, what I want is for you to do this idea I have Mm -hmm. rather than stepping up. Now. When you're saying that uh, the chamber is a convener, it's bringing people together to, to all be at the right tables at the mm-hmm. right time, have the right conversations. Um, how does that connect in your mind with uh, what started out as a, a passion for uh, youth specifically, but individuals to overcome either their own personal struggles or to overcome some of the generational things that they had in their families with the work that you were doing with Lutheran social services and things like that. How does that passion that you had to help people, uh, up out of some
1: Mm -hmm. of the challenges
0: in their personal lives, how does that connect now with being a, a regional connector?
1: You know, again, my background in community development and youth issues. And, and I really like that. And then being at LSSI, which again is a great organization. I really enjoyed, um, but I, I also believe the fact is the system doesn't always work the way it should. Schools, probation hmm. for young people. You see this generational, you know, I, I remember I had a 18-year-old young man that had been in and out of the system since he was 11. I opened and closed his file over a dozen times. Yeah. So something wasn't working. Yeah. Not one specific person, probably a combination, family, legal issues, school, mental health. So I was, the burnout rate is high for therapists and, and being able to impact change. Um, there are very, very, very great stories. And then there are stories where it just, it's difficult. Yeah. So I think looking at how can I try at a bigger level? And that's why the chamber, this project coordinator job that I did very briefly was how do we bring people to the table and then have resources If we want to really talk about impacting change, it takes um, time, resources, financial resources, commitment, um, energy. And so I think in a community such as ours in the Sauk Valley, there's lots of ideas. There's lots of people that have never been asked what they think Mm. or asked to sit at the table. And so we reach out to our members all the time and try to grow our membership to say, what do you think? Yeah. And and so I think at a bigger level, my passion is for, and probably as a mom, I just really think that we as a community can impact change locally to provide healthy, safe communities where businesses and individuals can thrive. And it sounds like a tagline, but the reality is that's how communities should function.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So for you, after working on a case by case basis, Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of discontent in the repetitive nature of that. And so now the transition has been to how, how can you be a part of systemic progress, yeah. you know, of, of, of across a, a community as a whole, across a, an entire geographic region or in an industry kind of thing. What have been some of the challenges uh, that you've experienced in this as, as opposed to when you were a caseworker?
1: So I think sometimes, it, 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 the siloed word is is interesting how you say that. I think often the business community operates, the education community operates. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. And again, it, it wasn't me, but I was blessed to be able to go to training. We work closely with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Hmm. They're a resource for us. And an example is I was able to meet the author of, uh, one of the authors of the No Child Left Behind Act. And whatever oh. you think of that act, But as one of the authors, she said, do you know, she always talks lessons learned. She said, we did not have one business, not a Fortune 500 company, not a business person at the table when we wrote that act. And yet the whole goal was to prepare children for life. Mm -hmm. So this education, No Child Left Behind was really an education template that every child will move forward academically and grow to their fullest potential. Oh, but wait.
0: Only until they graduate high school. Yeah. And then, yeah.
1: so taking that knowledge and coming back and saying from birth to death, yeah, who should be at the table to have conversations about what's important? What are the priorities? And again, the chamber doesn't decide that. Um, we work with the Whiteside County Partnership about what are the realities of what's going on, you know, and some things have just floated to the top. The workforce challenges, people and needing employees, um, you know, and so I'm not as knee deep as I am into like kind of what the addiction issues are now or sure. what substances are out there. But we have resources where we work with Sinesipi or the uh, LSSI or Moeller, Meyer and Associates. So if I have questions, yeah, I can reach out to them. And it's yeah. it's knowing who, I don't want to say experts, but the people that are in the know, boots on the ground that are doing the work. That's what I'm good at. If you need facts or data about something... Um, I can probably get you in touch with somebody that knows, um, and will, is willing to have a conversation about that.
0: Yeah, and so during your time now serving with the chamber, almost a decade. Oh gosh, um, it's been I, I guess eight years if yeah. my math is, math is correct. Have you what progress have you seen, or what changes have you seen in the the philosophy of regionalism? Because I've talked to a few people who have, ta- who have said that for a long time, like, let's just say that the three closest towns right here, certainly Rock Falls, Dixon. But even, though, I mean, Sock Valley, you know, mm-hmm. the, it extends out to some of the other communities around as well. But, you know, even just those three cities, there is a lot of time, a lot of times that uh, no one would even talk to each other between the towns. Mm-hmm. And then even in a town, there would be, you know, everyone kind of doing their own little thing and not necessarily knowing that they were able to work together. Mm-hmm. And some people I've talked to, some of that has been changing. What have you noticed that has been changing towards regionalism, towards partnership across the Sauk Valley?
1: Well, I think people are realizing, so, and not to get political, but here are facts. The state of Illinois is losing population. The state of Illinois, for many people, is difficult to live in. So, if we're going to be an area that grows, working together to pool our resources, to say, this is where I want to move back to. We know 70 to 80% of people that come to a community do so um, to return to family or to return to their roots. You and I are that other 30%. We relocated for a job. Yeah. That's the reasons people come. Yeah, um, A small percent quality of life. They're just picking a map. This looks like a great place. So we, I think our leaders um, started to have conversations about, we... The, if we pool our resources and the data, 2017 release report, then uh, people that cross commute. Maybe I live in Rock Falls, but I work in Milledgeville. Yeah. Maybe I live in Milledgeville, but I work at KSB. And so people um, live in one place but work in another. I think it's over 62% in the Sock Valley. Yeah. And businesses don't care where their shoppers live. Mm-mm. They, it's the revenue. A customer is a customer. Yes. Yeah. I do think maybe municipalities tend to. They want that tax dollar. Right. So if a yes. store is going to come in and that makes sense, I want it in my city limits. So we get that tax revenue. I think we've gotten better about um, I, and I do think our all three of our cities. If if maybe they're not the best fit to not turn it down totally, but suggest somewhere else within our Soft Valley region. Yes. Um, I think it's a new wave of people um, learning from what has worked and what hasn't worked, that continuity. And I will say um, Young people, since I moved here, young people, they don't really care what side of the river you live on. Hmm. Whereas I think historically years ago, that was a bigger issue. And I can't speak to that because I moved here in 2005, but just hearing from people that grew up and graduated from Sterling High School or Rock Falls High School, it was a way bigger issue years and years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Right or wrong. But I think people are getting over or getting to understand it doesn't really matter where you live. Hmm. Um, We just want a community community that uh, we can be proud of and there are things to do and good quality of life. And driving 20 minutes to a restaurant for most people these days is not an issue at all. And maybe part of years ago it was.
0: Yeah. Do you feel that the sentiment is the same in the business community or, or, you know, whether it's business owners, community leaders, that sort, is that, is that a same sentiment where, Hey, it doesn't matter where you live from, or is there still a little bit uh, more territorialism or a little bit of hey, not my monkeys, not my circus. I just can't deal with that right now. Mm -hmm. It'd be great to work together. But like, do you see that there's still a little bit of distance or, or is there more of the cohesive, the thing you mentioned about kind of the the population as a whole, Mm -hmm. are we seeing that in the community leaders and business leaders space as well?
1: I think for the most part, I think there are maybe certain organizations that still are hesitant and maybe they don't know how, or they have their focuses on other things right now. Um. You know, especially when you speak about municipalities, um, they have to be fiscally responsible. Um, so a lot of it does stem from the leadership. I think most of our community organizations and businesses um, understand that growth is good for the community in yeah. and of itself. Yeah. And but again, others um, may not. And again, I don't know. And I don't want to say it's fear, but you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when we show the data that. If we continue to lose population, if we continue to lose workforce, if we continue to grow older as a county, which we are, and people leave the workforce, then we're not going to have these startups and we're not going to have this new stuff because it takes people to work at these locations and it all comes full circle. I think the good news is. We have three hospitals within a 25-mile radius that serve the region. We have a lot of our manufacturers. If you were to pull our top manufacturers, five of them, they have people traveling from probably 15 to 30 different zip codes. They don't care where you come from.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you think is the next step for our Sauk Valley region? What what is the next hill to climb as far as... um, investing in this area?
1: So I think, you know, a lot of this is that people get excited about, they can impact change locally. And I think, and there's this uh, book, and actually the former mayor, um, Skip Lee sent this article. There are 10 things that shows a community can be successful, and they're not at all what you would think. And one of them is just there. this, this, they did this unofficial study and it went, drove around to so many communities that, but the The report was amazing that they are communities that are near a community college, communities that have invested in local, um, getting involved in local issues, Mm. communities that have um, an active, vibrant downtown, Mm. um, communities that are within an hour of two or more airports, like just weird data sets. And we hit all those things. Yeah, I think that... um, One of the things that we need to do to continue to do is have conversations, um, honest conversations. And it's not all agreeing. I've learned that. Like, I don't agree with what everybody says. And I'm sure people don't agree with everybody, everything I say or representing the chamber. But agreeing to disagree and being respectful. Mm. But I think the biggest thing is when we look nationally and state, everything is so polarized. And at a local level, we can really try to meet middle ground because we're smaller and the issues we should know more about. And, and I think whether, in and, and whether it's schools school board or municipalities, but getting your facts and understanding and getting involved as opposed to maybe what's happening um, at the state and, and federal level, because it seems so much further away and not that it doesn't impact us, but local things where you can really have a voice. Yeah whether it be your local, you, you want to sit on a not-for-profit board of directors, get involved. Yeah. You want to get involved in your school. You should probably know some of your school board members. Um, Sterling Rock Falls, who are your city aldermen? So it's much more easy to build a relationship and a connection yeah. with local folks Yes. Um, to have conversations and be willing to learn.
0: Yes. And so do you think that, that, that that's really what needs to happen next is uh, m- more of the average citizen building connections with uh, the stakeholders and influencers in our community, yeah, so that we can have a better uh, voice in the pol- the things that are pressing for us here, yeah. And yeah. then, and then, w- w- I guess, w- what's the onus though? I- is the onus more on um, the average resident getting involved, getting their voice heard? Or is there more of a a need and responsibility for uh, business owners, community leaders, uh, board members, school board people to make sure that they can be a part of the conversations that are happening? Mm -hmm.
1: I think it's both. So I'll give you an example. Um, In 2018, the University of Illinois, Wisconsin extension. they did a workshop. It was called Attracting and Retaining Rural Youth. And um, Mm. Pam, I can't think, Pam Scanlon, I think her name is, she went around, this is pre-COVID, and did a Lunch and Learn. So I'm like, yeah, let's do this. We'll host, we'll invite people. I said, but I'm going to add something if it's okay with you. I want a panel of five millennials to talk about why they're staying and living in the Sauk Valley. And Pam said, that's a great idea. I don't know why we didn't think of that. I haven't, it was, I was lucky, right? Yeah. So we had about 40 people at this workshop. It was out at Sauk Valley Community College. Pam does her thing. She has data, why people leave rural America, what to attract them, what to retain them. And then I did a discussion, question and answer. I moderated it. I got done with that, thought it was great. I had five of the five, three were locals, um, had lived here their whole life, gone away to school, come back. Some had not left and then had two kind of transplants. Yeah. In, that was May of 2018. In June, I probably got, I think it was eight, 12 phone calls from the business community saying, you need to keep that group going. You need to start something. And Chambers had popped up with these millennial groups, young professionals. So I, we partnered with Sterling Main Street, Jana Groharing, and we invited very intentionally people that we knew wanted to be part of the solution because I didn't need naysayers at the table. Right. Um, not that their voice can be heard, but we weren't ready for that yet. So pulled together about 20 young people. At that time, you were age 21 to 36 and said, what is your voice? What do you want? What are your priorities? And formed this group called the Keystone
0: Group. Yeah, I've heard of this group. Yeah.
1: We just celebrated our five years. Um, They have gone to city council meetings. They helped get the dog park created in partnership with the park district. They've been relevant in the riverfront discussion. Um, so we're focusing kind of on Sterling. We have discussions about Rock Falls and we welcome people from Dixon. Um, it's just hard to be in three places at one time. Yeah. Um, so I think, but so from that, one of our Keystone young ladies who worked um, in retail at the time and marketing, she's background, she's like, I, I could run for city council. And I said, yes, you can. And so Caitlin Atquist, um, after a couple conversations with ours and that's where she wanted to impact change. And a couple years ago, she ran for city council and she's currently a city alderman, um, woman. So it's both, it's making sure that the people in those leadership roles, um, are willing to listen, um, admit when they don't know something and be part of a conversation. And then it's for others to get involved. And you mentioned something to your point, um, I get it. Life is tough. If you're a single mom of three or you're a two parent working household and your big deal is right now, you want to coach your kids soccer. That's important. Yeah. And you need to do that because we're all working. A lot of two family households working or single parents or grandparents raising grandchildren. So you kind of pick your priorities. But at some point, if there's an opportunity, it's something you feel really strongly about you should have an opportunity or find out how to get involved. Yeah, And that's where I think the chamber can be the conduit of, Are you? is it animals? Is it getting involved with uh, domestic violence? Is it talking about reducing the sales tax? How do we have people that want to have a voice get involved? And I think the last thing I'll mention on that is, it's not about getting your way all the time. Hmm. It's about being part of conversations and being grown up enough to know um, just because I don't get my way doesn't mean I wasn't heard, Yeah. and I still am going to be part of the conversation. Mm. And for a lot of people, they're not used to being invited to the conversation, um, and so we have to do a better job of that.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Just the even just the honesty of um, it, it is a responsibility of people to step up, but it's also a responsibility of those who have the seats of influence and the seats of, of you know authority and mm-hmm. power to do the hard work of inviting input, Mm -hmm. which sometimes you don't want to invite input because it's just easier if it's just one voice in my head right now instead of, you know, however many. Um, But I think I think that if uh, one of the things that I've, I've noticed about this area is that there is a overwhelming sense of of a desire to invest here. People who do start businesses here, people who send, you know, three generations of their family through the same school district Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's there's legacy building in this community, which is a beautiful thing. And for that to also translate beyond just my neighborhood, my school, but to the region as a whole, actually being able to see change take place. I, th- I think that there's a cool opportunity in a community this size
1: mm-hmm.
0: where um, earlier you were saying that this community has the trifecta of education, healthcare, care and and uh, uh, what's the third one? Quality of life. Qu- quality of they life. They
1: say green spaces. And so. We, the city of Sterling did a, it was a marketing thing a couple mm. years ago. There was a uh, Muldrow and Associates came to town and it's how to market your community. They changed their brand. Sterling came up with a new logo, but it was more than that. And they really talked about, um, being intentional and not just recruiting outsiders, but being proud of where you are. And obviously being new, you and I both drive by that riverfront and that's been an issue of contention because it's not a great look. We're making such amazing process in that progress, I'm sorry, in the past couple years, but it's having pride in the green spaces, our quality of education from preschool to uh, elementary, to continuing education at Sauk Valley Community College, Morrison Institute of Technology. Um, And then green spaces. We are by a canal, we are by a river. Um, So, and how do you let people to know if I want to relocate as a mom who moved seven times in 15 years, those are things I want to know. I want to know about the education system. I want to know that... There are green spaces. I want to know there is quality health care in rural America. And so Sterling has really been intentional um about doing that. You know, Rock Falls with their riverfront development and, and Rock Falls Tourism does an amazing job of what's here and then that event piece, what what can yeah. we offer to families, to young people, to millennials.
0: Well, and it's cool that we have all those opportunities, mm-hmm. even in an area this size. And I think that's the, the thing I'm reflecting on more is that we we, we we have an opportunity in a community this size that there is enough opportunity here, but it's still small enough that individual voices can mm-hmm. actually enact pretty big change. Yeah, you know, and even you're talking about kind of the 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 beginnings of the Keystone Group, starting with you know a couple dozen mm-hmm. people who have been instrumental voices in some of the things we've seen in the last five years, which is a really cool thing mm-hmm. to know about our community. And so it, it does just encourage me. Uh, to think about the the potential yet of being someone who can be a voice for change in this area and for others as well, who can step up to be a voice for change by just being involved in the different things we have mm-hmm. available. But as you live and work here uh, for last almost 20 years, what what are some things that you think are still missing or or what would be something that you would change about the Sauk Valley as a whole, whether that's as a uh, mother, as a, you know, a, a a resident who lives here or whether that's from the perspective of, the director of the, the chamber of commerce.
1: So uh, let me preface this. that So this is being worked on, but in my years at the chamber from 2015 and those that preceded me, and the fact was the perception, so I'll be very clear, that the riverfront was, a, was not getting done. Yeah. And a lot of people were blaming the city. Now there's a lot of history behind that. There was things getting done. People just didn't see it. But if you were to say um, movement takes time, and I understand that, but it felt a lot of time for those of us that were champions of the riverfront. Mm. We weren't getting anywhere. Um, that 2008, the recession and then uh, years of trying to move forward. And not that the city didn't think it was important. It just wasn't the most important thing to them as it was maybe to other organizations. And the chamber was it has been a champion of this since 2003 when the mill closed. Like yeah. the riverfront, even when Stanley our national closed and uh in Stanley left the area, the chamber was very much an advocate. And so that has been a frustration. If you would have asked me a year ago, I would have say, Oh my gosh, I'm still really I'm pessimistic. And now I feel like we have a really great momentum. Mm. We have the city council's really, really excited. They realize they don't have to do it alone. Yeah. They, sometimes the conception is um we're a city entity, it's the city owns this and Uh, we have to use public dollars. It's not true. There's private partnerships we'll be going after to make the whole riverfront happen. And it's a massive amount of space. Yes, so much larger than the Rock Falls or the Dixon um, area. I also believe... I think one of my most frustrating things, I was just at AirPlay the other day and people saying what they heard or what they thought to be true. And I know to be false. Like, I'm not... I'm not super, super smart, but I hear, I'm involved in a lot of conversations where I hear things firsthand. Sure, And so, and it's, it is habit. It is very common. I'm not blaming the people of Sterling, Rockfalls or Dixon, but I heard this and then it blows up and it is all nowhere near the truth, whether it be about an individual or a project. Mm. And my thing is, I, I do a, my monthly newsletter is get the facts. Yeah. Um, and social media is probably not all fact-based. So that's been,
0: (laughs) that's a delicate one of my
1: frustrations. Mm. Um, so I think, but you know, overall, I, I, I don't go home, um, you know, sit and talk with Max about everything that's wrong. I just, maybe it's in my nature to go, we got a lot of good stuff and we need to keep moving forward. Mm. I will tell you, I think the people in this town, like we started the conversation, I stayed here in 2008 because of the people in this community, wow. um, that really raised me and my boys up. And I think that doesn't happen everywhere.
0: Mm. Mm. Do you think that that, that, is that the thing that excites you most about the Sock Valley is the people or what other things give you hope? Yeah.
1: The people in the energy, um, we did, a with this riverfront, before they formed the Riverfront Commission. So we partnered with Sauk Valley Community College, our Keystone group, and we had, we called ourselves a task force. And we just did a simple survey, seven questions. And within six weeks, we got 1,040 responses. Oh my. And so I have to give credit to Joe Strabala-Bright, who wrote the survey. He was out at Sauk Valley Community College. He's part of the millennial group. And now he's a city of Sterling Alderman. Mm. but. We did it. We put it out on social media, sent it out in emails and was able to go to city council and say a thousand regular citizens using air quote every day, Joe and Josephine's think the riverfront's important Mm. and we need to figure out how to move that forward. I just got done doing 11 focus groups with parents of Mm. children two to 12 about what does the playground equipment look like at the park? The city didn't want to develop that. The Riverfront Commission said, that's not our call. So they tasked me with focus groups, I partnered with the YMCA over here. this is for the, the
0: Riverfront Yep. Mean. Yep.
1: So we sat and looked at playground equipment, looked at play structures, looked at fencing, looked at if your child falls, what do they fall on? Hmm. And we have now come up with what I will present in May to the Riverfront Commission of this is what parents want. And those we invited parents um we publicized this all over the place um, for these focus groups and sent it out to all of our employers. Um, and we're able to have conversations with people that just wanted to have a voice.
0: Yeah. And that's and that's so cool just to see the amount of people that are willing to step up mm-hmm. and, and have that voice. Um Wow. Chris, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. <laughs> um, and before we go, though, uh, if someone wanted to get in touch with you or ask some questions, what would be the best place to direct them to either contact you or to n- learn more about what the chamber is doing at this time?
1: So you can always call our office. Um, it's the Sock Valley Area Chamber, 815 625 2400. And then we do have a website and a Facebook page. Um, our website um, is Um There's an events calendar on there. Mm-hmm. that um, It's a community calendar. And then just kind of what's going on at the chamber. You can see who our members are, um, members that are businesses and organizations that are investing in the community. And then we have a Facebook page um, that we post kind of some things going on, what work the chamber's been doing. Um, a lot of it is celebrating our members, um, that whole shop local piece. Yeah. So those are probably the best ways. Um, and then you um, can also email me. It's my name, Noble at SaukValleyAreaChamber.com.
0: Mm. And then is there anything coming up in the near future that you would want to point people to, to put on their radars or any of these secret projects that you could uh, spill the gossip on for us? Um, what are some things coming up in the future for the chamber?
1: So the Riverfront Commission will meet in May and we'll present some we meet and then the city will probably um, present an update on what Gorman and company is looking at with the Lawrence building and the national building. We would like to do some more tours this summer of those uh, being able to get people in national. I'm not sure about Lawrence because of some of the safety concerns, but those updates hopefully roll out the plan, the timeline for the riverfront park. If we can get the ice ribbon moving forward, that type of thing. Um, So that's really what I'm excited about. I do want people to know, um, for our, our members or community people, if, if you want to be part of this childcare conversation, give me a call Mm. because this task force really will work better with people at the table with that are solution focused and have knowledge about really what their reality is. Um, and then, um, you know, just coming down the pike, one of the things, um, For my chamber members, businesses, we do a golf outing. It's a fundraiser for scholarships. But coming up in August, there's two big dates um, on the Thursday and Friday. The first Thursday in August is our Steak Fry in the Country. Um, It's our agribusiness. It's a celebration of ag. um, Mm. That's open to anybody. If you have not been to our Steak Fry in the Country, um, it's held at a local farmer this year, Ted Jacobs Farms in Rock Falls. And we raise funds for scholarships for students. And we just picked scholarship winners for twenty three, twenty four, and we'll allocate $12,000. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. So
1: we are really proud of the fact that our chamber recirculates dollars yeah. into the community. And then the first Friday in August, of course, is hot dog day. Um, and you've not been here to experience hot no, dog day. No,
0: I missed it last year. So
1: you will have to come down and grab that hot dog. And so um, actually Sterling Main Street uh, and I will be meeting next week to kind of talk about how do we kick off
0: that planning? Absolutely. And I, 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 I have a, a weak spot for hot dogs, and so I'm very, very <laughs> excited about it. Ever since I heard about it, I think maybe Jana was the first person to uh-huh. tell me about it, and I, my eyes lit up, and I was uh-huh. like, "What is this thing? I need to know about this." Um, but yeah, Chris, thank you so much for just coming on the show and uh, sharing your story with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so I think um, having you in this community, and again, being one of those uh, key community leaders. Um, as faith communities are often looked at, it's, it's going to be instrumental in, in your excitement for your ideas mm. about what can we do to continue to move this um, area forward.
0: Mm. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. And uh, until next time on the Sock Valley Spotlight Podcast, I'm your host, Drew Williams, and let's keep finding the beauty of this place that we call home.